today we come to the end of our series on Jesus' words to the seven churches that he writes through the Apostle John, who is a pastor and a bishop in the area uh, we know of today as Turkey. Back then it was Asia Minor, one of the provinces there in the Roman Empire. And as we come to the end of this series, uh, we have been talking about throughout this time together that this area of the Roman Empire when the followers of Jesus went with their communities into it, it was one of the most corrupt, one of the most evil areas of that part of the world, of the Roman Empire. And they were people who began to minister out of the love of Jesus for others. They began to share the good news of the gospel with people. People responded to that. People came to faith in Christ, and they started some churches. And they began churches in different cities throughout the province. And And uh, these are seven of the churches that are talked about in Revelation. There were a lot more churches than just that. There were churches and communities around it. But these are the main seven. And Jesus is writing to these churches in Asia Minor, talking about where the things are that they're getting it right, the ways in which they're really living well for him. But he also, in each of the letters, is talking about ways in which maybe they've gone sideways and off the rails and... And, uh, and they need to take some corrective course. And uh, so it started out with Ephesus and, and Smyrna and made its way around that trade route, the main road there going around the empire. And uh, Gion wrote Jesus' words to those churches in a scroll. And, and so they passed the scroll around and read it from church to church. And today we come to what he says to the church in Laodicea. Laodicea, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. Let's hear the words that Jesus has for them. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. These are all titles in this first verse to refer to Jesus, and these same titles are referring to God in the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament. And basically what this is saying is it's saying who Jesus is, who God is, and talking about the certainty of his promises. In other words, God is going to do what God says he will do. And then he says this, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, Neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. To those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Laodicea, probably the most affluent of all of the cities in in that part of the Roman Empire. Laodicea, a city that had a highly developed commercial banking industry, 
And it was the place where they minted the gold coins that were used as currency throughout the province of Asia Minor. Laodicea was a city that had an advanced medical school, and, and uh, they specialized in eye and uh, uh, ear ointments and salves. Laodicea it had a booming textile industry, and, and they were widely known around that ancient world for a black robe or a black coat that they made because that was the only area in all of that region of the world that had black sheep, and they took that wool from those black sheep and black thread and made that uh, coat and robe, and they were famous for it. Laodicea was one proud city. It had so much wealth that it had become self-reliant and self-sufficient. In fact, so self-reliant that in 60 AD, when a massive earthquake hit that area of Asia Minor, and Rome poured in all kinds of federal relief and, and dollars to rebuild the cities in that area of the world because it was such a huge part of Rome's economic base, when they came to Laodicea and they came to them with the aid that they wanted to give them, Laodicea responded by saying, Mr. Nero, thank you very much, but we are very rich and we do not need your money. And so they rebuilt the city with their own money. And at the end of it, they minted some coins, and on the coins they had printed, we did it ourselves. Self-reliant, self-sufficient, a bit prideful, conceited, complacent, and comfortable. And what's concerning Jesus as he writes this letter to the church at Laodicea through John is that the culture had begun to seep into the life of the church. The culture of that city was being reflected by the people, by the Christians, by the followers of Jesus there in that church at Laodicea. Laodicea had become a safe and a comfortable kind of place to attend and have a membership. And, and, and I mean, there weren't any really high-risk plans on the drawing board. There were no daring ministry ventures uh, being prayed about. Uh, not much of an internal difference uh, is being made in people's lives. I mean, these are just a, it's a great group of people. It's a warm and caring kind of group of people who are caring for each other. They're content to be nurturers, but not so much gatherers. They're not hot. They're not cold. Call them lukewarm. And call them disgusting in the eyes of Jesus. And you go, wow, disgusting? Ouch. Folks, fasten your seatbelt because the strongest rebuke for all of the seven churches in the book of Revelation is made to the church at Laodicea. I mean, look again with me at verses 15 and 16. Jesus says to them, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, which is really a more sophisticated or sanitized way of saying, hey, you make me sick to my stomach. <laughs> Understand that the literal translation of the Greek language that John is writing in literally says, you people make me feel like vomiting. <laughs> That's pretty strong. Now, we, we clean it up a bit in our English versions, don't we? Spit you out of my mouth. You think Jesus is just a little upset? <laughs> you think? 
think he's upset about this comfortable and conceited group of followers of his in the church at Laodicea. I mean, he does not mince words about the, what he feels about their half-hearted commitment for him. What he feels about the reality that the culture has begun to seep into the life of the church. And Jesus is saying, this is what I feel about believers who consistently put my relationship with them on the back burner of their life and think they have it all together and, and, and feel like, hey, I, I got enough. I, I'm pretty good in life. We've got it all together. And then they feel like in many ways we don't really need God. Rather, just kind of cocoon for an hour or two a week with brothers and sisters in Christ and nurture each other and help each other rather than being out there in the world around us doing what Jesus calls us to do. I mean, this is a group of people we could probably call Christian couch potatoes, right? I mean, they, they never really make a real difference for Jesus by serving people around them. They, they never really invest themselves in the lives of other people. They get consumed with the culture around them and become like the culture and look like the culture. And when Jesus sees this going on, he says, I know your deeds. You're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. And what he's doing there is he's using an image that they would understand full well. Because Laodicea, you see, was in this triangle of three cities. And one of those cities, six miles to the north, was Hierapolis. And one of the cities, ten miles to the east, was Colossae. And those cities were known for different things. Hierapolis was known for its hot mineral springs. Hierapolis was a kind of Roman R&R place for the Roman soldiers. It was a resort kind of town where people would go to because it had all kinds of these wonderful hot mineral springs. It had a three-quarter mile long cliff and over the top of it flowed mineral spring water coming up out of the earth, this hot, milky white mineral water. And it would go down and it would harden and create pools at the bottom of the cliff. And people would come and they would sit in those pools to soothe their arthritis or to deal with skin diseases that they would have or just simply to soak and relax. It was an amazing resort town. And 10 miles away from it was Colossae, which was at the base of Mount Cadmus. And Mount Cadmus uh, was a huge mountain, the highest peak in the area. And it was snow-covered year-round. And so as a result, as the weather got warmer, cold mountain streams would flow off that mountain. And people would go to Colossae for those invigorating cold streams and drinking water that was clear and fresh. And contrast Hierapolis and Colossae with what was going on in Laodicea, which had no natural water supply. And so what they did for Laodicea was they built this aqueduct out of stone, and they piped in water, and the water was so filled with limestone content and minerals that by the time it got to Laodicea, it, it was not only lukewarm, but it was also disgusting tasting. It was terrible. And Jesus uses that image when he says... I know your deeds, you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. But because you're lukewarm, like your water supply, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, it's interesting. A lot of people today look at that passage, they look at that verse, and they go, well, hot means white, hot, passionate in a relationship with Jesus. Cold means, hey, I'm against Jesus. And Jesus is saying there, I'd rather have you be hot or be cold before me or against me. Just don't be lukewarm and sit on the fence. And that's not what he's saying here. What he's saying here to us is 
and to the church at Laodicea and to all of his people afterwards in the light of the context of what's going on is, hey, I wish you would live for me and be like those hot mineral springs and be healing and soothing and be that kind of an influence to the world around you, to people who are suffering and hurting today. They need you to be that. Or be cold, like those cold mountain springs coming off of Mount Cadmus into Colossae and be refreshing and invigorating to people. Have that kind of an influence. Be one or the other. Be both, actually, is probably what he would rather have us be. But make a difference in this world around us that is hurting so badly with all that is going on, he's saying to Laodicea. And he could say it to us today as well. Be like those cold mountain springs and be refreshing and invigorating and encouraging. And be like those hot mountain springs and be healing and restoring to hurting and suffering people. And then he goes on in verse 17 and he says, but you say I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and I don't need a thing. But you do not realize you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, naked. What he's saying to them is, is, in the midst of what I want you to be in this culture you live in, you're allowing the culture to influence you. And you're becoming like the culture. And you're becoming comfortable. And you think you're fine. You are self-sufficient. And you're self-satisfied. And you're prideful and conceited and complacent and comfortable. And, and as a result, you're not a difference maker in the world in which I've placed you. You're becoming like the culture around you. And he says here, You're completely self-deceived. You don't understand the condition you're in. You think you're fine, but you're spiritually bankrupt. You think your life is acceptable. And it's not. And he's saying, "I, I, I want you to be passionate about your relationship with me. And I want you to get out there in the world in which you're living. And be a difference maker in the culture in which you and I live. He wants us to be people who are cool and invigorating and refreshing. He wants us to be people who are healing and encouraging to others. He doesn't want us being a casual Christian who comes to church once a week and who maybe spends a little bit of time here or there throughout the week with him, but then we go on about life as usual and we look just like everybody here in the culture around us. And then he says to them in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can be rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. What is he saying in all that? Well, again, he's drawing on what was going on in Laodicea. He's drawing on the reality that they're known for its banking industry and gold coins. They're known for their textile industry and those fine wool and black coats. And they're known for the medical school. And they produce this ISAB by taking minerals from the area, combining that with some oils. And they use that for some of the problems that people would have. And Jesus uses all that to say, you've got all that. But what you really need is my gold. My white garments. My eyesight. 
What is he saying? He's saying you need my gold. And what is his gold? His gold is true spiritual wealth. In other words, it is a vital, authentic relationship with him where each day we are growing in our walk with him and we are becoming more like Jesus together. That's the gold he wants us to have. In in other words, he wants us to be intentional about developing a vital and authentic relationship with him. That's more important to him than accumulating all the money that the world would hold out to us. And he's saying, you need my white garments. What's that about? He's saying, you need my forgiveness. You need my forgiveness to cover you in the midst of your sin. He's saying you don't need what the world offers and what the culture offers, but you need my forgiveness, my white garment to, to, to cover you. He's saying don't become so casual as we walk through life we treat sin cavalierly. Don't, don't walk through life treating sin in a casual way. Rather be clothed in his white garment of forgiveness. And then he says we need renewed spiritual vision. We need an eye salve. Not the eye salve that they had in Laodicea that people would put on their eyes to help them with their sight. But rather to have Jesus' eyesight. And what is he saying there? He's saying, I want you to see the world the way I see it. I want you to see people in the world around you the way I see them. I want you to look at people differently from the way the culture looks at them. See them, he says, through my eyes, my eyes of love and care for them. And then he says in verse 19, he says, hey, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. In other words, he's saying in the midst of becoming like the culture, realize what's going on in your life and repent of that, which is to do a U-turn. It means your life is going in one direction and turn around and, and, and go the other way. And he says, if you don't, I, I, I will discipline you. And it's not because he, he, he wants to. It's because he loves us. It's because he cares for us. It's because He's given us this life that matters to Him. And He doesn't want us squandering it by living a life of Christian lukewarmness. And so He's going to do whatever is necessary to bring us to a point of brokenness to realize how it is that we've become like the culture around us. And we'll make those changes in our life. And the way He will do it comes in the next verse, that famous verse that is a wonderful picture of God's love for us. Where he says, Behold, or the NIV says in verse 20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him. And and usually when we use this verse, we use it in the context of evangelism, don't we? We tell people who need to know Jesus, Hey, he's standing at the door of your life and knocking. and, And that's true, he is. But understand, this is a verse that's written to believers. This is a verse written to the Christian church at Laodicea. It's a verse that's written, in a sense, to community covenant church as well. And what he's saying to us is that that as we get caught up in the culture and we get living life and we're ignoring him and we think we're okay, he's saying, hey, I love you and I'm standing at the door of your life and I'm knocking. And if you'll open up and you let me in, I'll come in and we'll have deep, intimate communion together and I'll grow in my walk with you and you in your walk with me and I'll help you to be an eternal difference maker in the life 
of the world around you and in people's lives instead of looking just like them. And interestingly enough, again, he uses an image that they fully understood in Laodicea. Because I don't know if you know this, but Laodicea had... A, a gladiator training center. That was the gladiator training center there in Asia Minor. It was in Laodicea. And so it had a lot of gladiators there. They had a lot of Roman soldiers there. Roman soldiers were in and out of there because of that, but also they were in and out of there because it was on the way to Hierapolis that was a kind of resort for Roman soldiers when they were on R&R. And, and Roman law had been passed, and what it said was if a Roman soldier was on his way someplace and they couldn't get to where they needed to go for the night, they could just simply bust down your door in a sense. They could just walk into your house and say, give me something to eat and give me a bed for the night. And you couldn't do it. Whether you wanted them there or not, (laughs) you had no choice. It was the law. Now, they had to leave the next day, but the next night their buddy might be doing the same thing. And so the people in Laodicea are completely frustrated by these Roman soldiers who are forcing themselves on that. And in the light of this, Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm not that way. I love you, and I'm not going to force myself on you. I'm going to knock. And it's up to you if you want to open the door of your life. And you want to let me come in and eat with you. And it's interesting because there are two words in the Greek that speak about eating. And one of them is kind of the fast food, let's get it done, kind of utilitarian kind of eating. The other is a long, drawn-out feast. And the word that Jesus uses here in Revelation 3 is that word deepnon for long, drawn-out feast. And how different that had to have been from how they wanted to treat the Roman soldiers, right? I mean, it was like, hey, he comes in, let's give him a burger and some fries, get him to bed, and get him out of here in the morning. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. If you'll let me in, we'll have this long, drawn-out feast together, and we'll commune together, and I will help you become more like me. We'll have a deep mind together. Let's do lunch together. Let's have dinner together, he's saying. And you know, I think that's a really cool image. It's a wonderful image of God's love for us, but can I also say to us, it's a bit of a disturbing image when we really think about it. Because what he's saying to the church at Laodicea is, you think you can be a church without me. You think you can live in this culture around you and look like the culture, and you're really living for me, and you're not. And I don't know about you, but but man, that pulls me up short to think about my life and to think about the ways in which sometimes I look more like the world instead of like a follower of Jesus who's becoming like him. And I think that goes on today in our culture, in the American church, just as it went on in Laodicea. I, I think really the words of Jesus to Laodicea are a word for the American church today. Because think about it. How much are Christians in the American church looking like the world when it comes to dealing with the issues of our day? The pandemic. The political division. The racial divide. I mean, the world is angry. The world is on edge. 
The world is living in fear. The world is more concerned about personal rights and losing those than they are about the needs of others. And can I say at times, so are we as Christians. So are we. I read some of the Facebook posts of Christians. I, 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 I think of last week when I was here at church and, and I was saddened. And at times, at times just like, wow. As I listened to the Johnson County Board of Commissioners meeting where they were debating masks in schools. And Ron Lawler from Christ Prep had it on on his radio, and at times we were listening to some of the comments and, and, and saddened by, by self-proclaimed Christians who identified as followers of Jesus, and they got up and they talked in ways that were rude and angry toward the commissioners. I think of the prayer I heard of one woman. She took the two minutes, most of the two minutes that, that they gave to this person to be able to speak, and she took it time praying, and it was like, Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, remove the blinders from these commissioners. And I thought, I wonder, I wonder the next generation wants nothing to do with the church. No wonder people in our culture who don't know Jesus Look at the church and like, you want me to be part of that? And after one of the comments that was so rude, I walked by Ron's office after hearing that, and I sarcastically sang going down the hallway of the office. And they'll know we are Christians by our love. By our love. Yes, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Jesus is saying to a world that is caught up in the culture, look like me, not like the world. Don't get caught up in all of that stuff because really what's more important is not about being right. It is about being loved. People are not Problems to be solved. They are people to be loved. And, and, and yeah, I know there are times we're right, we get it right. But that's not really what it's about. I mean, Jesus was right. But he went to the cross. He gave up his rights. He sacrificed for others. He showed what love really is about. And so many Christians today are not loving each other and not loving the world around us. And this same John, through whom Jesus delivers the message to Laodicea, also delivers the message that Jesus said to the apostles in his gospel. And on the night before Jesus went to the cross, he brought his disciples together and he said, the world will know that you are my followers if you have love for each other. 
So many are getting caught up in all of the stuff of Johnson County and all of the busyness and the pursuit of wealth and all of the debates about politics and all the debates about masks and the pandemic and whether there's vaccinations or not, whether we should be wearing masks or not. And we get caught up in all of the racial division and, and, and there's one group of people shaming people who are one ethnic group and there's other people on the other side who are saying, well, your experience can't be right. And, and in the midst of it all, can I say there's got to be a different way that we have as a church? We've got to find a different way. We've been talking as a staff about finding a third way, how the church of Jesus Christ needs to have a third way that's different from the world because the world seems to be all stuck over here on a progressive side or all stuck over here on a conservative side. And even Christians are caught up in all of that. And Jesus is saying, no, there's a third way. And that way is that the world will know you are my followers if you love each other. We as believers need to love each other. And we need to love people in the world around us instead of getting caught up in all of the debates. And, and, and yeah, I know it's important to believe what you believe. I'm not saying don't have beliefs. What I'm saying is let's treat people as people to be loved rather than problems to be solved. Let's stop trying to convince people of our positions and let's get out there in the world around us and be a witness for Jesus of the love that he has for them because the world is suffering and hurting. Let's be hot mineral springs in their lives. Let's be healing in a suffering world and let's be cold, refreshing, invigorating influence on our world around us that is so dried up in the midst of the heat of all that is going on in the world around us. Before he dies there in the upper room, Jesus prays in John 17, I pray that they may be brought to complete unity. It doesn't mean we got to agree with each other. I mean, think about the disciples, right? On the one hand, you have Simon the Zealot who kills Romans, and on the other hand, you have Matthew the tax collector who... who uh, was collecting taxes for Rome. And Jesus takes all of these different personalities and these different beliefs and he brings them together in the church, in the body of Christ. And he prays, I pray that you will be brought to complete unity that the world may know that you sent me. And that you love them just like you love me. What is the proof to unbelievers down the street or in our schools where you guys go to school, or, or in the marketplace where some of you work, what is the proof that Jesus loves them? The proof is when we love each other, and we love them too. No matter what they say to us, no matter what they do to us, no matter how they try to hurt us. I mean, think about it. What was it that blew away a godless world 2,000 years ago in Asia Minor? It wasn't sermons. It, it wasn't great evangelistic programs. It wasn't dynamic worship music. It wasn't a nice building that people would come to. And it wasn't even believers in that day having political power because they had none. They had zero. You know what it was? It was God living in them. And out of the overflow of their love for Jesus, they loved others around them. 
I mean, that's why in the very first letter to the church at Ephesus, Jesus is so concerned about that church having lost its first love because he knows that love of God is everything. It's the first, it's the middle, it's the last, it's everything. And so out of the overflow of our love for him, he knows that if we truly love him, we will love others as well and we'll be like him and be even willing to be crucified in this world if that's what it takes. Think about it. That's what blew away a godless world. That's how Asia Minor went from being one of the most godless places in the Roman Empire to being 80% followers of Jesus within a few generations after Jesus writes this to Laodicea. And Laodicea, by the way, got it. They got the message. In fact, we know from history that Laodicea became, of those seven churches, Laodicea became the most vibrant The most vibrant of all the churches, the most dynamic of the seven churches was Laodicea. And they loved each other, and God lived in them and amongst them. And they blew away a godless world. So much so that, look at at one of the major temples in that day. This is one of the seven wonders of the world back then, and this is what it looks like now. I mean, yeah, that you can see some of the glory. You get a sense as you're there of some of the glory that might have been in the past. But what's all that's left is, is a million artistically made pieces that are ruins. And, and, and does anybody ever get converted to, you know, the, the mythological gods as a result of that today? And as I think of that, I think of how is it possible that at times, to God, this is what His church looks like. A million pieces broken apart, fragmented, as we're at odds with each other, and we divide with each other, and we descend into tribalism. And I'm going to go to a church where people believe as I believe. And we end up going to county commission meetings and behaving the way we do or we behave the way we do in other places. And I think that this is what at times the church looks like. It's not about being right. Jesus was right and he went to the cross. It's about loving others in the name of Jesus. Jesus was political. He made political statements. The difference is he was political, but he wasn't partisan. He was political, but he wasn't partisan. We as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ have more in common than we have different from each other. And if we will love each other and we will live in unity together, It won't matter what buildings we have. It won't matter what kind of organization we have. It won't matter about our messages on Sunday morning or our worship music or anything else. What will happen is the world will be changed by our love. By the kind of love that the Apostle Paul writes about to a church in Asia Minor. And he says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. 
It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And when that's the way we live, you know what the end result is? Look at the last two verses of Jesus' letters to the churches and his words to Laodicea. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a great end result for you and me. When we live this way, when we overcome the world and the culture's influence, and we love as Jesus loved, we will sit one day on that throne in heaven with Him. And we will worship Him. And we will be victorious. And we will hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so followers of Jesus, community covenant church, will we have ears to hear? Will we have ears to hear?